I'm on here. Good morning, church. How are you guys doing? I tell you, the uh, time you were right about the weather, brother. Uh, unfortunately, uh, two days it can be middle of summer again around here. Uh, and uh, I've learned that, uh, you know, uh, uh, fake news just isn't on the, uh, the major TV stations. It's on the weather channel, too. <laughs> At least on my phone. <laughs> but uh, we, uh, we do welcome everybody here. Hope you're enjoying the beautiful day. Uh, glad to be here. Welcome our other service at, uh, in the Fellowship Center, as well as our live stream folks. Uh, just a lot of, a lot of folks from all over. I, I want to, I do want to recognize uh, a couple of things. Uh, 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 Landon Osman, uh, Landon, if you're here, Landon's usually in our other service. Uh, Landon, if, if you're in there, just uh, stand up, wave your hand, let people see who you are. There he is. Uh, I can see him on screen. Sorry, guys, you can't see him. Congratulations, uh, Landon achieved the rank of Eagle Scout, which is a great achievement. Yes. By the way, one of his project things was to put up, uh, build and put up some uh, uh, coat racks over in the children's wing. And uh, sorry I said that out loud because now people, Landon, will be coming to you saying, can you build this for me? And that's how that works, you know. Uh, but uh, what a great accomplishment. Uh, I love to see our, our young men and our young women uh, accomplishing great things. And that, by the way, that's quite a task if you're not familiar with uh, all that goes into that. Uh, also, I wanted to give you a quick update. You know, we had our One Kingdom Sunday a couple of weeks ago, and a couple of people said, how much money did you get? And, and I, I, it's the preacher in me. I just say, not enough. Uh, but not really. Uh, well, you guys are so generous, as well as uh, uh, folks from all over the country. Uh, the last count I had was we were over, with Sandra, we were over $100,000 for that day. Amen. <laughs> Praise God. Uh, and, you know, we did, a few years ago, we did relief work down in the, uh, the North Houston area. And one of those guys that we had made a connection with gave me a phone call yesterday. He said, Mike, I, uh, y'all did so much for us. I know that South Louisiana had a lot going on. We're, we're writing a check. We're going to send to you guys. And, and so, you know, that's just kind of how that is. We're, we're forever family. We help each other whenever the time comes around. And so, uh, uh, thank you for your generosity and for, uh, just sharing, uh, uh, and at Robert Abels and Ryan Miranda and Jason and Missy are in Athens, uh, Greece, uh, today. And, uh, you know, our work there among the refugees goes right back into Afghanistan, Iran, Iraq, Syria, all those countries. We have podcasts in there. We have folks that are learning in the refugee camps. There are many, many people being converted. So there's really, in a world that you tend to kind of be overwhelmed by bad news, there's a lot of good things happening in the kingdom of God. And we just need to thank God for that and quit living in the world's mentality, live in the kingdom mentality. It's a whole lot more peaceful, by the way, you know. Uh, Gretchen Lynch, come on up here. Gretchen's reading our scripture for us. Gretchen is, uh, yeah, give her an applause. Gretchen is 17 years old, homeschooled, uh, great young woman, and uh, she's 17 right now. But look, 
we share a birthday. This Thursday, right? That's right. We share a birthday. You didn't know that. That's why I had me getting your cards. I get it. It's okay. But now you know. <laughs> okay. I totally threw her off. I'm so sorry. All right. She's going to do our scripture reading today, Gretchen. Thank you for doing this. Okay. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are full are few. Sorry. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. Thank you so much. Gretchen. Uh, we've got quite a bit to cover. We're going to cover three chapters uh, today, 8, 9, and 10 out of Matthew as we work through this book. Some of it we have to take in a little bit bigger chunks. So before we do, let's bow for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, what we know not teach us, what we have not give us. And what we are not, make us. In the name of your Son, with the help of the Spirit. And the church says, Amen. Amen. Matthew chapter 8. This 8 through 10 is really a section about the authority of Jesus. Remember, in the book of Matthew, he's writing everything's about kingdoms and kings, right? He's the king, about living in the kingdom of God. Just came up the Sermon on the Mount where really he just gives this great sermon on how to live. If you're a, if you're a citizen of the kingdom of God, this is how you live. Your lifestyle is a lot different than everybody else's in the world. But we need you to live as salt and light. You make a huge difference in the world. And you get this choice, right? Are you going to do like the wise man building on sand or are you going to build on solid foundation? Because if you practice what he teaches, that's sound, sound foundation that you're building on. And so he lays that out there in that discourse. Earlier, right before that, he gives action in ministry. You see Jesus doing ministry. Then he stops and he does this discourse. Here he does the same thing. In 8 and 9, he does some actions of ministry with uh, showing his authority. And then he's going to, in chapter 10, give a discourse to the disciples as he sends them out. And so that kind of is a framework. Matthew writes it this way. He's going to do it again later on where he shows the actions of Jesus, the stories or the narratives. And then he'll give another discourse. And this is kind of uh, the style that Matthew writes in. And remember, he's writing to primarily a Jewish audience. And so you're going to see word the word kingdom and king a whole lot. You're going to see a lot of quotations from Isaiah in the Old Testament that, that these Pharisees and people who have been who really uh, had their roots deep in Israel, they're going to understand and get these messages and points probably quicker than we do, right? Because they understand what's behind them and what's been written there. And so when he gets to chapter 8... Uh, remember, he's already had some crowds follow him, and he's leaving them. It's amazing. Uh, most preachers get a crowd. They don't want to leave it, uh, you know, right? But he gets a crowd, gathers up, does some things, and then he leaves them. Gets in a boat, goes somewhere else, does some things, leaves them again. And he kind of see this thing happening, too, because he understands the greatest thing for them is not, is not to be healed. 
the greatest thing is to hear about the kingdom of God. And so he does that and he continues to preach this message as he's doing these acts of kindness and healing. And you're going to see his authority is made clear here. Uh, and he starts out here, uh, uh, his authority in action in chapter 8. And he says, when he came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. And a man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus reached out his hand, touched the man. I'm willing, he said, be clean. And immediately he was cured of his leprosy. Then he said, see, see that you don't uh, tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Basically, he said, look, go follow the word of God instructions uh, that you've been given about what happens when a person's healed and cleaned. Go follow those instructions. Uh, that gets you back into the community, back into your worship, back into your relationships. The, you know, the other accounts you see the guy doesn't do that. But, but basically, Jesus touches the untouchable. How long has it been since a man with leprosy had been touched? People aren't going around touching him. And yet Jesus physically reaches out and touches him. He hugs him. He says here, and he, and he heals him from this terrible thing. Wow, what a day it must have been for that guy. But he didn't do it just for the healing's sake. He's showing that he has authority over sickness. His, uh, 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 look what else happens here uh, in the next one. There's a faith that's a centurion. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Now this guy gets it. He understands Jesus is a man of authority because he tells him, look, Jesus, just say the word and the guy back home I know, my servant will be healed. And the guy explains how he says, look, I'm, I'm a man of authority myself. I say to a guy, go, and he goes, and I say, do this, and he does that. I understand you're one, you are one of authority. You just say it, Jesus, and it'll happen. And here's what Jesus said in verse 10. I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Wow. I say to you, many will come from the east and the west. He goes on to explain some different things about the people coming for the kingdom. But look, what he's telling them, this guy gets it. He gets it. He sees Jesus. He knows he has authority over sickness. And so he knows if he just speaks it, it'll happen. He doesn't have to touch him. He doesn't have to see him. He doesn't have to be there. That's the kind of authority Jesus has and is practicing. And, of course, Jesus tells him, go, it's done. And his servant is healed. Then he comes in verse uh, uh, 14. Jesus comes to Peter's house. And he saw Peter's mother-in-law. She's lying in bed with a fever. And he touched her hand. And the fever left her. And she got up and began to wait on him. He heals Peter's mother-in-law. How, how would you feel about that? Be careful. I've often wondered next time she got sick, you know, what Peter's wife was saying. Go get him. You know, I mean, we can't have her sick all the time. It's causing me problems. Come on now. But she's healed. She gets up. She immediately serves. Then when the evening came, there were many demon possessed that were brought to him. And he drove out spirits with a word and he healed all the sick. Now, why is he doing all this? And he tells you in the next verse. 
This was to fulfill what was spoken through prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and carried our, uh, carried our diseases. So he shows with the Old Testament, Matthew in writing this shows Jesus ability to, to say, this is who I am. I'm the guy that it was talking about in Isaiah. I'm the one that said, you ought to be expecting me. Here's the king. He's coming. And here's what he's doing. And you can tell it by his actions. Say so his authority over sickness. Now, his actions caused a couple of disciples to want to follow him. They're learning. They're wanting to follow. And look what happens. Jesus saw the crowd around him, and he gave orders to cross over to the other side of the lake. He leaves the crowd again. He kind of understands that some people are just following him to get something, right? But then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And another disciple said to him, Lord, let, uh, first let me go bury my father. And Jesus told him, follow me. Let the dead bury the dead. Two disciples, they see him in action. They see his authority. And they say, look, we, we want to follow you. Matter of fact, one of them's a teacher. He's a scribe. So he understands. He, he got the quote from Isaiah that Jesus just spoke. He, un, he got it. The problem was the teacher had the book. But he didn't have the courage. They had the talk, but not the walk. Isn't it easy to find people who will say, I'll follow Jesus? Dime a dozen. There are mega churches full of thousands of what I call unconverted believers. There's a, there's a certain following taking place, but all of a sudden when the challenge gets there, and look, Jesus says, look, I'm homeless. Well, I don't know if I want to go carry it that far. This religion, you're carrying that religion stuff pretty, that's pretty good ways. One of them says, look, I, I, I need to go bury my father. Now, most people think in this text that the guy's really not dead yet. What he's really saying is, my dad's old, he's about to die, and I need to wait on him to die, because guess what? When he dies, what do I get? I get the inheritance, and then I'll have some money, and I'll be ready to go. I said, no, nah, you know what? Just, just drop it off. Just leave it all and go. Just come on. They're not, they're not quite ready. They didn't drop their nets like the other guys did. Now, here's the problem. With, here's the problem on... Uh, not dropping nets. Okay? If you hang on to your net, it gets hung up on everything you walk by. And that's kind of the problem with sometimes people who want to follow without really letting go of everything. They just keep getting hung up on everything they walk by. And Jesus said, no, that's not, that's not how you follow me. Just leave it all. Then, so not only does he show his authority over sickness, and it makes these guys say, I want to follow, but they're not really there. He also shows his authority over nature. Look here at this next little section. He got in the boat, and uh, and his disciples followed him. And without warning, a furious storm came upon the lake so that the waves swept over the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, and and saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. And he replied, you have little faith. Why are you so afraid? Then he got up, rebuked the winds and the waves, 
and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? Now he shows his authority over nature. His power over nature. Now before you get down on these guys too quick, they had an initial faith. Because look what they said. They said, Lord, what? Save us. They knew he could save them. They've seen him do all these things. They said they, they had enough faith in him to save us, but then they're afraid. Lord, save us indicates their faith. We're going to drown indicates their fear. Got it? Lord, save us indicates their faith. We're going to drown indicates their fear. Now look, on our journey of faith, we will have moments of fear. We're going to have them. We're going to have times where we have fear. Our walk is one of faith. There will be moments of fear, but they must only be moments. That can't be our lifestyle. We don't live a lifestyle of fear. We don't walk in fear. We're not going around scared every day. I'm not worried about the politics. I'm not worried about the, what's happening in this country or other countries. Yeah, I'm concerned. I'm going to be a good citizen or whatever. But look, I, I, I'm a part of a bigger kingdom. I'm not walking and living in fear of any political body. I'm not scared of them. You know why? Because my faith is in a person who has power over all that. Over all that. So do not let the world or the circumstance of the world steal your confidence by causing you to have fear. Don't you dare believe Satan's lie that creates fear and doubt in you. Whether it comes from the storms on a lake or the storms of life. You choose faith over fear. You choose peace over panic. Because you trust in a king who has authority over it all. His authority over sickness. He has authority over nature. He has authority over demons. Look here, verse uh, uh, 28. When he arrived at the other side in the region of Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men come, uh, coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. By the way, anybody ever go walking in the cemetery up here besides me? Huh? Did, I hope I didn't, didn't run it for you. I, I really never worry about that. But these guys, they're, out, they're coming out of, the, out of the tombs. They're coming out of the cemetery. And they're violent. And nobody could pass that way. So what do you want with a son of God? They understood who he was and the authority he had over them. Have you come to torture us before the appointed time? They even knew they were limited. (laughs) Some distance from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. The demons begged Jesus, if you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. And, And he said to them, go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. Now those tending the pigs, by the way, guess what, guess uh, what you know about them? They're tending pigs 
They're not the Jews. Got it? They're attending pigs. Those attending the pigs ran off, went into town, reported all this, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus. At first, that sounds good. And when they saw him, they said, they pleaded with him, please, please go somewhere else and do your stuff. Now, can you imagine being the ones that ran Jesus out of town? I just, I'm just thinking, that ain't the crowd I want to be in. But Jesus shows his authority over demons. By the way, he's going to do this again later on in chapter 9, verse 32. He's going to do some casting out of demons. He's going to show this again, that he has that power. Then he has authority over the forgiveness of sin. That's what we see in the next section. Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over. Here he is in a boat again. Here he is going somewhere else. And he came to his own town. And some men brought to him a paralytic lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, son. Your sins are forgiven. I love that. If I could ever hear one thing, what would you like to hear from Jesus? I mean, just hear verbally Jesus say something to you. Your sins are forgiven. That's what I want to hear. I said, boy, Mike, I would love to hear that. I'd love for him to say that to me. He has already said that to you. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, this fellow's blaspheming. See, they didn't get who he was. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, which by the way, always bothers me a little bit that Jesus knows all my thoughts. I mean, there's a certain comfort there, but there's a certain, you know, ooh, I wish I hadn't thought that. Mm, Jesus already knew, you know. You just can't hide, can you? Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, get up, take your mat, and go home. And the man got up and went home. And when the crowd saw this, they're filled with awe. And they praised God, who had given such authority to men. So, wow, this is some kind of power. Unfortunately, they didn't really have the impact until they saw the physical reaction of the blame man. I would rather dance in heaven and be crippled on the earth than I would to walk this life temporarily. But this man got them both. Now, you realize every healing was temporary, right? See, that's the difference. Healings are temporary. Forgiveness of sins is not. See, to be healed brings temporary rescue. To be forgiven brings eternal rescue. This man was blessed with both. Well, next you see, he shows he has authority over social and religious traditions. This one can kind of get you if you make it too practical to people. 
When you start doing something in the church that the church is not used to doing, it's just bothersome. I'm saying that from personal experience. I'm not saying I'm bothering you on purpose. I'm just saying it bothers me too, right? You know, you change something, it bothers us. If we started meeting at 1030, it'd bother somebody. Matter of fact, somebody, somebody's probably bothered with me at 10. Can't we meet at 930? I personally would like to meet about 6 because I'm an early guy. But I hadn't found that church yet that's willing to do that. That one I hadn't found. I mean, I don't know. That one's not there. One lady told me one time we changed something in, in, in the church service. And she said, Mike, I felt like I came in and somebody rearranged all my furniture at my house. She said, that's how I felt. It just made me unstable. I said, well, let me help you with that. Put your stability in the Savior, not the structure. My stability is in Jesus, the Savior, not the tradition or social structure that I practiced. The Pharisees had a pretty tough time with this. So Jesus went uh, from there. He, he uh, saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. And while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. Totally against the Pharisees', Pharisees rules. You don't do this. You don't socially do that. You don't go hang around with that crew. You don't do that. I mean, that's like me. A Cardinal fan uh, looking for a bunch of Cubs people to hang out with. Sorry, Ryan, in case you saw that. When the Pharisees saw it, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Look, when he quotes this Old Testament verse of Hosea, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. He's saying, I'm looking for the heart there, mercy. That's the heart of God. Not the religious practice of sacrifices, not the outward practicing of your religion. I'm looking for the heart that understands the mercy of God. Boy, if we could ever get that, we would save us so much problems if we could ever get that down that we desire God desires mercy more than my religious practice that's been established by my tradition and it wasn't that they weren't biblical he's just comparing the two in terms of what's heart and what's not so he has Authority over that and even over fasting. Because then John's disciples and the Pharisees, they're going to say, look, why don't your guys fast? He says, it's not, it's not the right time to fast. I'm here with them. That, look, when I'm gone, there'll be some fasting going on. There's a purpose for fasting. It's not something just practiced by religion on a certain timetable or schedule. I love it. This is something David says to our staff all the time. I always appreciate that. He always says, People trump schedules. That's what Jesus is saying. Well, and he says, look, this is a new way of living. This is a new heart. This is, by the way, that last song for communion, guys, awesome. 
and the new wine, here it is. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do men pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst. The wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. And both are preserved. Jesus is bringing some new wine into some new wineskins. And they're having a little bit of a tough time with it. Then he shows in verse 18 through 26 of chapter 9 that he has authority over death. He's got authority over sickness, over nature, over demons, over sin, over social and religious tradition, and he has authority over death. It's interesting that in the middle of this healing or raising of the dead, he turns around and heals again. Because this is the kind of heart he has. While he was saying this, a ruler came and knelt before him and said, My daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she'll live. And Jesus got up and went with him, and so did the disciples. So they're traveling, right? They get up with him. They're going to go to this, to this uh, the daughter. And G, uh, just then, a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. Because she said to herself, If I only touch his cloak, I'll be healed. That's how much faith she had, see? And Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed from that moment. Now, when Jesus entered the ruler's house, now here's the problem. Here's my problem. If I'm the ruler and I'm going to my daughter and I'm, I'm, I'm bringing, and Jesus stops to deal with this woman, I'm like, come on, come on, what, what, what are you doing? What we got, yeah, yeah, she's sick, but that's just, you know, she's had that 12 years, good enough. She'll be all right. Come on, I've got one dead. Right? But she interrupts their travels. He heals her. When Jesus entered the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the noisy crowd, he said, go away. The girl is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. You get one crowd running him off out of town when he does something great. You get another group laughing at him. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in. And see, this is where Jesus and I were different. If they laughed at me and I was going to raise the dead, I'd say, y'all all come in here. Let me show you something. Right? I mean, that's, that's our human nature. Just, just come on over here. Let, let me really show you something. Laugh at me, will you? Watch this. Matter of fact, I might have raised her from the dead and blinded all them or something. I don't know what I would have done. But, you know, that part, that human part in me, you know. But he puts the crowd outside. He went in and he took up the girl by the hand. She got up. And news of this spread all over the region. I bet it did. I bet she was appearing on every talk show in, in the area. Tell us about it. What happened? He goes on to heal more. Jesus went on from there. Two blind men uh, calling out, have mercy on a son of David. They recognized who he was too. 
And when he had gone indoors, uh, the blind man came to him and he asked him, Do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, will it be done to you? And their sight was restored. Jesus warned them sternly, See that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him all over the region. And I can't blame them. I mean, I understand it. I thought about what it must be like to go from being blind to seeing. Been praying a lot, by the way, for our past preacher here, Barry Stevens. Some of you may know Barry had an accident where he's injured his eye, and he's and right now it's it's not looking like he may he may not get any vision back in that eye at all. It's a very very touchy situation there. Well, I've been praying for Barry. A man that reads and studies and preaches, you know, to lose your vision is a difficult thing. I remember one time on one of the medical missions in Mexico. We had a group down and we always took a lot of the eyeglasses and the machines, you know, and that kind of thing. And so, uh, and we just had random, I mean, uh, thing, uh, prescriptions of glasses. You just made them fit best you could to help people. And I remember this one particular older woman that came. And she couldn't see. Just, you know, just everything's just kind of, I don't know, it's, it's, it's just foggy out there. She can't really make out who people are, whatever. And so, and, and laying there in a, a weird, big old thick pair of glasses that you would think nobody would ever need, we had laying over to the side that fit her situation. And we put those glasses on her. And she's so amazed for the first time she saw her grandchildren. I mean, it was miracle-like. I can't imagine with Jesus what that must have been like to those guys. And while they're going out, a man was demon-possessed, come, uh, could not talk and was brought to Jesus. And when the demon was driven out... The man who had been mute spoke. Now all of a sudden he can speak. And the crowd was amazed and said, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. They're fine. Some of them are finally getting the picture. But the Pharisees, they said, oh, that's by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. They just couldn't understand who he was. They could not see clearly who Jesus was and who he was proven that he was. Even by their own Bible. Even by their own scriptures. Now, that's his authority in action. That, by the way, that's point number one. Are you worried yet? I'm on what time? My team don't play till 3.30, so I don't care, you know. These other two will go a little faster, I promise you. Number two, his compassion in action. We've seen his authority in action. Now you see his compassion in action. This is quick. This is basically our scripture reading for this morning. Jesus went through all the towns and villages. And here's what he's doing. He's teaching in the synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, when he looked out and saw people, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless 
like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Ask the Lord for the harvest, therefore to send out workers into the harvest field. He saw them clearly. He saw clearly. Get these three points. He saw clearly. He cared deeply. He saw clearly and he cared deeply. And he wanted others to do the same. He looked down and he saw those people. I think my problem is I walk by people every day and I don't, I'm not seeing clearly. I'm not seeing them as sheep without a shepherd. I'm not, I'm not one. I, I need to be thinking. On, do these folks understand who Jesus is? Do they understand he's king? Do they understand they can have forgiveness of sins? Do they understand they, they can live forever? Do I see them, do I see the world as sheep without a shepherd? Look, people who are outside Christianity, they're not our enemies. They're sheep without a shepherd. And they are no more broken than I was broken and continue to deal with my own brokenness. So there must never be a hint of conceitedness among God's people when we look out at the crowds because we're just as broken as they are. And we need to learn to do what Jesus did. See clearly that there's sheep without a shepherd and be moved, deeply care, have compassion for their situation. Yeah, but my, he made those choices himself. I don't care. I made my choices too, but I want mercy. See clearly. Care deeply for people and show them who Jesus is. Because they're, they're, it's wild in the harvest. There are people out there ready, they'll accept. I mean, maybe it's just, maybe changing our habits is just as simple as to, is making a commitment today that, you know what, at least one thing I can do, I'm going to initiate something. I'm going to invite somebody to church next week. Because I think I'd be safe to say that's probably not a habit in all of our lives all the time. I'm just going to invite one person for a Bible study. I'm going to take one person to a small group. Just one. They may be sheep without a shepherd. Harassed. Broken in life. Who did he come for? Remember? The sinners, not the righteous, the sinners. That's who he was eating with. That's who we ought to be running around eating with. I've got to put myself back into the sandals of Jesus and view crowds like he did. Broken. Problem is, sometimes I get caught up in feeling sorry for myself and my own brokenness. I quit doing what he wants me to do. Yeah, I just got to get out of that mess. That's usually because I'm dragging nets behind me, by the way. Get that one back again. Well, let's look at the third point. I only have three points in this sermon, by the way. That'll make you happy right there. This first point is his authority in action. Second, his compassion in action. Third, his disciples in action. 
And Matthew chapter 10 is all about this action that takes place with the disciples. All this authority he has shown them, now he's going to give this discourse to the disciples and tell them and pass this authority on to them as they go out. He's going to tell them how to do it. He sends them out first with authority. He called the twelve disciples to him and he gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. And then he lists their names and tells who they are. Now think about that. You're one of these guys, you're one of these fishermen, and all of a sudden Jesus gives you, you've just seen him practice this, and now he says, and now I want you to go do some of this stuff I've been doing. Wow. You'd think he'd be fired up ready to roll, right? The twelve Jesus sent out, verse 5, with the following instructions. So he sends them out with authority, now he sends them out with instructions. He said, I want you to go to the to Israel first. And I want you to preach the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy and drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Do not take along any gold or silver or copper in your belts. Take no bag for the journey, no extra tunic or sandals or staff for the worker is worth his keep. Says so you don't have to pack up for this trip. You know, this is a no-baggage trip here. Whatever town or village you enter in, find a worthy person, stay at their house. Until you leave, and as you enter a home, give it your greeting. The house is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it's not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet. When you leave the home or town, I tell you the, tell you the truth, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment Damn, for that town. Woo. I don't, I don't want to live in that town. A town, by the way, we already heard about that town earlier, right? A town that didn't welcome Jesus. Remember? They ran him off. I'm sending you out like sheep among, uh, among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. You got to be wise and you got to stay innocent. So, he sends them out with authority. He sends them out with instructions. Now he sends them out with warnings. Be on your guard. Basically, he says, because men, the men, when they hear you preach this and they see you do this, they're going to hand you over to some pretty, pretty bad guys. Matter of fact, he says they're going to hand you over to the local councils and they're going to flog you where? Anybody ever notice this verse? Where are they going to flog them? In the church building. They're going to flog them in the synagogue. Really? I'm preaching. I'm following Jesus. I'm doing his, what he wants me to do. I'm, I'm helping people. And what are you going to do? Then what are they going to do? Jesus said, guard yourselves. You're going to have to be wise about this thing because the religious people there and the city council, you know what they're going to do? They're not going to like it. And they're going to, uh, they're going to persecute you. Matter of fact, they're going to do it. They're going to drag you inside their religious establishment and flog you for what you're doing for God. I've never saw it before. Always think about people being persecuted by people out here who are anti-God, anti-religion. Ha. Sometimes the religious weapons can be worse than those from the world. He 
He says they're going to do it on my account. You're going to be brought before governors and kings. So look, don't worry about what to say. Because when the time comes, I've got the Holy Spirit with you. It's going to tell you exactly what to say. Don't worry about that. You're going to see some tough things. Brothers are going to betray brothers and fathers and their children. And, and uh, uh, all men will hate you because of me, verse 22. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. So you're going to go out on this commission with the authority of Jesus. Then you're going to run into some rough times. But when you do, stand firm. You'll be saved. Hang in there. Kind of sounds like what he tells the churches in Revelation, doesn't it? Be faithful unto death. You win. Well, then he's going to tell them three times in here not to be afraid. So not only is he going to give them these authority, instructions, and warnings, he's going to give them this encouragement. Verse 26, do not be afraid of them. There's nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will be made known. Uh, What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. I always think when I see this verse, I think of our old buddy, some of you will remember, Charlie Murray. He used to have this saying, out loud and on purpose. That's what we do, preaching the kingdom of God, out loud and on purpose. And he tells them again, do not be afraid of those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Then, flip on down here, verse 31. And so do not be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. You know what he tells them? Don't worry about it. I'm with you. I, 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 I know the sparrows. They don't fly. I know, uh, I know every hair on your head. Nothing falls to the ground. Not a bird goes to the ground I don't know about. So don't you understand? I'm with you and I know everything happening in your life. So when you go out on this challenge to be God's follower, God's disciple, he's with you. Don't be afraid. Then he gives them, sends them out with a commitment. Do not suppose that I've come to bring peace on earth, verse 34. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. I come to turn a man against his father. A daughter against her mother. A daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be members of his own household. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. You ever known those folks? I'm just trying to find myself. Don't. Find Jesus. Finding yourself is a dangerous thing. Whoever loses life for my sake will find it. He receives, you receive me. And he, he who receives me receives the one who sent me. Anyone who receives a prophet because he's a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. He just talks about that. Look, he says, and verse 42, And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he is my disciple, I'll tell you the truth, he will certainly not lose his reward. And after Jesus finished instructing his twelve disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. If disease, demons, 
and death submit to him, why wouldn't I? Here's what I want you to take home. I want us, starting right here with Mike Kelly, I want to see clearly what Jesus wants me to be as I follow him. I want to see that clearly. I want to see people clearly like Jesus sees them. Harassed. Sheep without a shepherd. I want to see clearly. I want to care deeply. And I want to follow completely. See clearly. Say it with me. See clearly. Care deeply. Follow completely. That's folks who are submitting themselves under the authority of the King of Kings. And he'll take care of you as you do. I know it's a lot today. Uh, I think about sometimes people's brokenness. I look at my own struggles, my own sinfulness at a battle. There are no magic prayers or formulas to say. There's no religious sacrifices to make to heal the heart of a broken man. But what God requires is, what God desires is that we have a broken and contrite heart. So when someone says, give your heart to Jesus, you you have to give your heart to Jesus. But giving your heart and holding parts of your life back never works. So what I'm asking us all to do today is to follow completely. Understanding he is the driving force that will protect us and move us in whatever direction he wants to. He'll prepare us for our journey. You are not alone. The King of Kings goes with you. Who wouldn't want to be in that kind of kingdom? If you need to get in on the kingdom of God, you can respond today by walking down here and confessing Jesus as your Lord. We'll baptize you into Christ. Start all over brand new. If you've gotten off track, been dragging a few nets behind you, you can cut, cut them loose. You can say, God, I want to get rid of that mess in my life and I want to walk brand new again. You can be restored like, like blind men who have their eyes restored. You can have your heart restored. And you can completely follow him. And his grace is more than enough for whatever you face in your journey. If you have a need, would you come while we stand and while we sing?